0: Welcome to Daily Defining Moments. This is Pastor Allen, and I'm so glad you're with me. Our goal each day is to help you open your Bible and connect with Jesus. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We're reading through the New Testament portion of the One Year Bible in the New Living Translation. Today is October 26th, and our reading comes from the book of Titus, chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, Paul says this. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God, an apostle Of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. I want to stop there and highlight one big idea. So many times through the years as a pastor, people have asked me, how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know I have a relationship with God? How can I know I'm going to heaven? And often people struggle with assurance. I want you to listen again to what Paul says here. He says, I've been chosen to teach this truth that shows them how to live godly lives. And then watch this verse two, this truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life. It gives them assurance, which God who does not lie, promised them before the world began so what Paul says is my message, the gospel message, your truth gives them confidence. Now, here's the question. Why is that true? Is Paul saying that just having knowledge, knowing the right things, having good theology, understanding intellectually the Bible, that gives us confidence? I don't think so. I think what Paul is saying is this is that when we hear, when we embrace, when we build our life on the truth, what we discover is God is right. Our life begins to flourish. Our relationships begin to flourish. Now, when I say flourish, I don't mean we all get rich and famous. What I mean is life begins to work the way that God designs even if we're suffering, even if we're being persecuted, even though we live in a culture that is perverse and rebellious, our life is working and making sense. And like we talked about yesterday, we're building our life on the truth. So even in the midst of those storms, our house Our life is not destroyed because we're building on the foundation of truth. And as we're building on this truth and experiencing transformation in our own life, that's what produces confidence and assurance for every one of us. When I think about my own life and I look back and I see where I've come from, I see that all that God has already done, all of the healing he's brought into my life, all of the understanding about who I am as a child of God, all of the character growth and development, all of the insecurities being settled, all of the immorality and these issues being settled. When I look back and I see all the work that God has done, that's what gives me confidence that I'm in. That's what gives me confidence that I'm a child of God. That's what gives me confidence that the Spirit of God is living in me. I have been born again because when I look at my life, I see God's seed producing His life and kingdom in me, and it gives me tremendous confidence and assurance. And the truth is, no one can have confidence or assurance without seeing God's life being produced in their life. That's what gives us faith. That's what gives us that confidence. That's what gives us assurance that we are the children of God. And sometimes people come to church and they pray a prayer, but they don't really learn to be with Jesus and they're not experiencing becoming like Jesus. And so they have no assurance They feel a little bit hypocritical. They feel a little religious. They think to themselves, well, I go to church every week, but nothing's really changed. And they start to wonder if it's real. And if it is real, has it gotten hold of me? The only way to settle that in a person's life is you've got to learn to be with Jesus. And as you're with Jesus, you'll become like Jesus, he begins producing his life and transforming our hearts. And when he does, that's what gives us assurance and confidence, which allows us to go into our world and do what Jesus did. Man, that's why you're listening to this podcast. I'm so proud of you. And I just pray that every day when we open the word together, that you'll just invite the word of God, invite the spirit of God to transform your hearts and as he does to heal your hearts. And as he does, that's what gives you confidence and assurance that you are a child of God. So important. And then he goes on in verse six to address church leadership again. And I want to touch on this because again, it's just so important. Church leaders must go first. We must live in a way that we can say to other people, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, listen, let me clarify something. That doesn't mean that pastors are perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. Sometimes I do something dumb, say something dumb. I mean, God is working in me too. The difference is just that if I do something dumb, I want to acknowledge that immediately. When it's towards another person, I want to take responsibility to apologize, to ask for forgiveness. And certainly at this point in my life, and if I'm in ministry, I should be far enough along in my faith that when I do something dumb, in the minds of most people, the dumb thing I did is relatively minor. It's not that I'm in bed with another woman and then I go, oh, I'm sorry, pastors aren't perfect. I just made a mistake. No, no, no. It's not that. What it is is when I'm at home and I'm impatient with one of my kids and I kind of I, I kinda just you know, I talk ugly to him or I raise my voice when I really shouldn't have or I didn't listen well and I'm able to go to him and say, Man, I'm sorry, your dad just I blew it today and I need you to forgive me and I, I wanna I want to handle that better, and let's talk about what to do next time to make sure that we're communicating well and we're protecting our relationship. So I'm trying to respond, even when I did the wrong thing, regardless of what caused that, I want to have enough humility and enough transparency and honesty to come to, even to my kids and to apologize, to take responsibility, to ask for forgiveness, and to talk about how do we, move moving forward, really guard and protect our relationship and strengthen our communication and, and try to make sure we don't get ourselves in this position again, right? It's those kinds of things. But at this point in my life, you know, I've been a pastor for 22 years of this church and 24 years total. At this point in my life, I ought to be far enough along that this list is not a problem. So listen to Paul's list. Beginning in verse six, he says, an elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers and don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. Why? Because the truth is my family should become a reflection of who I am. I'll never forget years ago when a counselor friend of mine met my wife. And one of the things he told me the next time we were together is he said, I was really encouraged by meeting your wife. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I can, when I meet a man's wife, I learn a lot about that man. It becomes pretty obvious whether she's loved well, whether she's cherished, whether she's honored, whether she's protected. When I have some time with her and, and my wife has some time with her, then it becomes pretty obvious to us what kind of man you are. And Paul's getting at that, right? That a pastor should live a life that's blameless, that aren't these big things that everybody can see that calls into question my faith, and then my family should be a reflection of what's true in the heart of that pastor. Verse 7, a church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. So again, just like in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is saying here that the way I manage my house determines whether or not I can manage God's house. And my house is a training ground. In fact, this is why rabbis didn't become a rabbi until they were 30 years old. They needed some training that they get in their house and in their marriage and in their parenting that prepared them to manage God's house. Verse uh, 7, he goes on to say, He must not be arrogant or quick tempered, he must not be a heavy drinker, must not be violent or dishonest with money. In fact, this reminds me several years ago when I quit playing basketball. Well there were really two reasons. One reason was I didn't want to blow out my knee at almost fifty years old and have to go through rehab. But the second reason I quit playing really was, you know what? I felt like I'm on the verge of losing my temper and acting like an idiot in front of a bunch of church people. And, you know, it's I just don't want to do that. And basketball is not important enough. And if I can't play and, and not get all fired up, then maybe I just shouldn't play. Right? Well, Paul, that's what Paul is saying here, that a pastor's got to be able to recognize that and have enough maturity not to put himself in a position where he's going to do something stupid. Says the same thing about drinking. This is a big issue in culture today. There's a lot of pastors getting caught up in this. Listen, I don't believe that alcohol is sinful, and I enjoy having a glass of wine occasionally with dinner or when I'm with Tina or whatever, but I want to be real careful. Man, If I'm drinking, it's a handful of times a year, and I'm never drinking enough to to where I'm intoxicated, right? I got to be real careful about that. And Paul says this, he he can't be a heavy drinker. And then you got to, you can't be violent. We've already touched on that. And you've got to manage money well. You can't be greedy. You can't allow money to drive your life in any way. Then finally, verse eighty says, "Rather he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must be have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he'll be able to encourage others with a wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it that they were wrong." Here's the bottom line with all of this. My first and number one responsibility as a pastor is to be with Jesus so I can become like Jesus. And then I can do what Jesus did. I can help you learn to be with Jesus so that you can become like Jesus. At the end of the day, one way to think about what Paul is saying here to Timothy is that a pastor just must lead by example. We've got to be a little further down the road So we can say to our congregation, hey, I'm not perfect, but follow me as I follow Jesus. In fact, you remember a few days ago when Paul said about himself, I'm not perfect. I've not arrived. I've not settled all this already, but here's what I am doing. I have forgotten what lies behind and I'm pressing on to what lies ahead. And that's what every pastor should be doing pressing on, moving forward with Jesus so that they can lead and teach out of their walk and experience and journey with Christ. Man, that's what it means to be a pastor. And the truth is, listen, that's what it means to be a parent. And that's what it means to lead as a husband. And that's what it means to be a good friend. And that's what it means to be a small group leader, right? In all of these different roles, if we're going to affect our world for the kingdom of God, here's what it means. I'm pursuing Jesus. And in that pursuit, in that journey, I'm learning and growing. And as I learn and grow, I'm sharing that with my world. That's what Paul's describing. Listen, that's what God's calling you to do. And you can do that. As you're walking with God and God is growing and teaching you, you have something to share with your family, your friends, your world. Let me pray for you. Father, help us all to continue our pursuit of you growing and maturing in our faith, learning as we go. God, we've not arrived yet. We're certainly not perfect. But we have forgotten some things that were in the past. We have grown out of some of our foolishness and immaturity. And as we continue to grow, God, I pray that you'd help us to lead and teach and to share out of that experience in order to be a blessing to our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for being with me again today. I hope that encourages you. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We'll see you again tomorrow.